Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 308. So, come check out our live stream at MacFab.tv. No, wait. <laughs> Twitch.tv slash MacroFab. I wonder, oh, I wonder if I should do a MacFab.com slash like Twitch stream or something or stream. Do it from the website. Well, that way I can redirect it to to the Twitch channel. Mm-hmm. I probably need to put some like MacroFab branding on the Twitch channel, which we, we do have one piece so far, which is we knew a little now banner. have a overlay banner thing so that it is branded MacroFab now. We're growing up, people. Yeah. Now I just need to actually like put in a MacFab icon for the Twitter account and like a banner image and maybe some text at the bottom that explains what this show is about. Maybe. Um, and, and also, uh, we actually now have a subscribe button. Took right 306 to episodes, I think. We got a couple episodes ago. Um, so if you go to macfab.com slash podcast, you can click a subscribe button and it takes you to basically wherever you can listen to our podcast. Um, and then there's also macfab.com slash slack where we have over 600 fellow podcast and macrofab enthusiasts. Most of them are engineers just like you, me, and sometimes me. Yeah, sometimes Steven. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have one more announcement is our product team is looking for people that use Altium to get feedback on a new product that we are working on. Mm. So email us at product at macrofab.com. That is product at macrofab.com. Honestly, if you just email me too or post in the Slack channel, you can probably get in contact with the right people. So. Do some, uh, I guess, beta testing in a way? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Altium plugins... Uh, with Macrofab, I, I I'm just guessing here, but that's no comment. That would be pretty cool. No comment. No comments. <laughs> Not allowed to say. All I know is the product team is looking for beta testers. Yeah, I'm <laughs> gonna send you uh, I, an email from an account totally not Stephen Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have um, to get a copy of Altium first. <laughs> yeah, well, how many emails deep are you now? Oh, too many. I don't know. Temporary emails to get. <laughs> copies <laughs> yeah i i know i've gotten altium uh, altium people are probably listening right now uh but i know i've gotten a free copy of altium four or five times um because i just need it for like a task a task to get something Move done one for a client over. of mine and and i'll do that and uh and then i get a thousand of call a thousand calls you know for the next month or two being like hey i saw you got altium you really want it and i was like <laughs> i've gotten to the point where i've i'm honest now with them where i was like nope i had a client i needed to get something done i got a free copy i got it done thanks for helping me my, my favorite is this is back when you still worked at macrofab was you had altium a sales rep call you during work hours that that story is my favorite um I was hoping you would tell the story. I don't remember it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm like, no, I thought so you were going to tell it because I'm like, I don't know no, what no, he's this, talking this, about. This, <laughs> the story is uh, they called the sales, the Altium sales rep called you during work hours and you oh, were on the phone. Yeah, thing. I remember this now. And okay. they asked, um, you said, because <laughs> they was this is right when they changed to their subscription model. 
right and right. and uh the uh, the person on the phone i think asked you like well how much would you pay because you said it was too expensive oh they no, said, yeah yeah she, she was and like, they asked it, it, how much would you pay and you said like ten dollars <laughs> oh yeah no like i i just got real serious with with the woman on the phone i was like hey right now i'll give you 10 bucks for it will you do it <laughs> and she goes dead silent because like i she i whatever she hasn't been trained to answer these and i'm like that 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 was a joke like yeah this is this uh, that, it's all that's right that's my favorite story for <laughs> like responding to a sales rep ever <laughs> yeah if she was i, I wonder what what i would have done if she was like sure let's do it come on yeah okay yeah 10 bucks yeah. So, because you don't, sometimes you get um, you get those text messages for like people wanting to buy your house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or they call you and like, you know, we're looking for rentals. Do you want to sell your house? I always respond with like two million dollars. Yeah, reasonable because you probably would sell your house for it. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Why not? I would too. Yeah. Yeah. No, my house is not worth two million dollars. Mine either, but it's not I worth mean, anywhere near two million dollars. Yeah, that's why you just say. But I would totally go through the effort of moving again if I if someone bought it for two million. Oh bucks. my god, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so this podcast, we're going to talk about projects. So it's been a while since we talked about projects. Um, it's like electronic projects, I guess, or I think it's actually going to be just stuff we've been working on over the past couple months and. What we're gonna be doing over our Christmas little holiday break? Yeah, because we both uh, had just have a little bit of time ahead, and I'm sure when when you have time off, like a lot of what's going through your mind is like, what can I get done? How do I move the ball forward on like ten thousand things? Ten thousand projects, push yeah. them up the hill just a tiny bit. At what? So like, it's like during the week, it's like ordering parts, and so that on Friday all the parts show up. So at oh, six yeah. o'clock on Friday. I'm in the garage tearing crap apart, <laughs> making sure I had the right parts. Hundred percent. Or like last night, I was looking at a project I'm working on, and I'm cutting wires, and I'm like, I can just do a few of these things, and I'll do the bulk of the hard work on uh, on the time off. But right now, I'm just like prepping and things. Yeah, actually, it's so it's about, funny. It's all about optimizing and making sure that you don't get stuck over the weekend. Oh my god, yeah, that's or that's the, the holiday, worst. right? Yeah. Right. Uh, so so. I know this applies a lot differently to people who have other responsibilities like children and things like that, which I do not have at the moment. Uh, so a few weeks ago, my wife was like, hey, you know, Christmas is coming up. Uh, and, and typically my wife and I, like, we we spend time on Christmas. We hang out, but we're not like massive gift givers. It's not like I'm out buying her like 15 gifts and, and she's doing the same. We usually get her, each other one thing and uh, we spend time together. And that's like, that works for the two of us. And, uh, and so she was like, Hey, you know, what would you like for Christmas? I was like, I've actually put a bit of thought into this and there's one gift I want. I was like, I want time. Just, I want to take some time off of work and I want to go down to my basement and I don't want to come up until I have to go to bed. Like, that's what I want. That's my <laughs> gift. Uh, and like, I'm going to, I'm going to work like in the evenings for a few weeks, buying the parts I need, making sure I have everything ready. Uh, and that's my gift. She's like, it's yours. You can have it. We'll, we'll get together for dinner on, you know, Christmas Eve or whatever. But like, there's your gift. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Like I'm just going to work on projects. She's going to slide pop tarts underneath the 
basement door. <laughs> yeah, I, ne- I need to make a hatch where she can just like drop beers down into the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, and and it's funny because you were saying earlier, like, you know, during the week you're ordering parts, making sure it's ready. I I had it planned out so perfect that I finished PCBs and they're arriving tomorrow. Just oh. before, like, cutoff. Just before, like, the cutoff for, oh, yeah. like, holidays and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it's working. Um, so, yeah, we got, I, I've, I've got a handful of projects that I'm, I'm trying to knock out. Some of these are old podcast projects or projects that I've talked about on the podcast, and some of them are new. Um, gosh, earlier this year, I talked for a while about um, a tube compressor that is the oldest project I've had. Uh, the oldest continuous project that has just been on the shelf for a decade at this point. Uh, in fact, if if you go back and listen, I think it was March or something of this year of 2021 that I was talking about it. I have a project that's so old, I recapped a project before it was completed. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, like because of age. Because it was just like, I could go, but like... I might as well at this point just recap a project, even though those caps had really they'd been turned on like once or something like that. But like, I mean, they were they're just the electrolytics. They just they've age. also been through a bunch of like temperature um, shifts from being from traveling and things like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just replace them. So uh, the thing that was holding up this tube compressor was uh, some rotary switches that I was custom designing that were 24 position one dB step rotary switches. Each switch, which this project has four of them, each switch has two decks on it, so I, so I can control stereo left and right or XLR, uh, hot and cold, I guess, uh, in one dB steps with moderate accuracy on that. So I finally ordered the boards for that. I got stencils for it, and I'm gonna hand build them just because I'm a psycho. And uh, but that also sounds like a really great way to spend Christmas. Actually, the the best the best. In my mind, like a perfect Christmas is like putting paste on a board, doing hand putting placing SMT parts, and looking out the window and it's snowing. That would be amazing. Absolutely, I'm, amazing. I'm imagining like what's the the Christmas story? What's like the Muppets Christmas story with like the ghost of Christmas past and stuff. Oh, that's uh, with the uh, uh, gosh, was Scrooge or whatever? Scrooge, what's that? actual book called uh gosh you know it's funny i hadn't ever seen that movie until like last year and my wife showed it to me um a carol something christmas carol christmas carol yeah but something like that uh yeah the muppets christmas carol that's what it is yeah but but there's an actual book (laughs) that's well yeah right yeah it's basically charles dickens right yeah Yeah, we're, you could hear us both googling. <laughs> oh, I think it's just a Christmas Carol. Yeah, uh, yeah, a Christmas Carol by Charles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah that's it. Oh, this is why we got. We need to edit all that out and be like, "Oh, a Christmas Carol." We knew what that was. Yeah, we know, totally know what that is. Because <laughs> I was, th- I was like, I, I was thinking in my head, like, you had the three ghosts, right? So you have a ghost of projects past. <laughs> I love okay. this. Yeah. And then you have in the future, you have, um, and then, because you're always buying parts for f- projects in the future, no matter what. 
Oh, well, I mean, a ghost of Project Future is projects that you finished, but they need they need maintenance. So they're coming back to haunt you. I'm coming back to haunt you, yeah. <laughs> and so current would be you are, like, buying all the parts. It's what's on your bench right now. Yeah, I was thinking, of like, you know that, like, we used to have that, it's the, the Macro, MacroFab Engineering Podcast meme, which is, like, actually finishing projects or thinking about finishing projects. And then, like, the last thing is, like, buying parts for projects you're never even going to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ghost of Projects Past Due is totally the <laughs> that that's great. Due. That's great. <laughs> that's gotta um, be the name of this episode. That's that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So um because I'm gonna go I, on a side I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with Steven you talk, I'm gonna come up with ghost names. I kind of <laughs> want I kind of want now a snow globe of a dude at a bench soldering. And there's just snow all around. Like, that sounds really, um, there's something really soothing about that, in a way. I'm looking forward to it. Although it's funny, because this this winter in, I, I winter in quotes, it I guess, what, was today the first day of winter? Or is tomorrow the first day of winter? It's it, 21st. It, regardless, it's been fall. It is today. Uh, and... Um, <clears throat> It's been it's been so warm out here. Like it was seventy something. We rolled the garage door up at work, and uh, we were all just working with in the open air. It was awesome. Uh, so uh, like, and there's no snow on the the forecast. So I don't think I'm gonna get my my white snowy solder day. But I'll certainly have the solder day. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping to finish this compressor over the Christmas holiday. I'm taking a, a, just a few days off, and I think between all of this. Uh, just days off, I can just dump hours into it and just be like, done, it's done. I never have to, you know, check it off the list, decade worth of not working on it and then finally having it done. So that is certainly a ghost of uh, Projects Past that has been haunting. Uh, I do have one other thing um, that I've got going on called the Synchrotron Phaser. So I uh, I don't want to know what this is. It sounds cool though. It sounds cool. So I developed a new guitar pedal that uh, it, it just it came to mind one day. It was like you know what I really feel like doing a phaser. A phaser is an effect that's been around for decades and decades. Um, and it, basically, what it is is uh, it's a filtering effect on your sound where the filter is moved throughout uh, the uh, frequency spectrum with a low frequency oscillator and it's mixed back with your original signal so you basically get notches it's almost like a really bad comb filter that slides around the uh the audio spectrum and it makes whooshing phasing sounds in a way uh you've you've heard it a hundred times like go listen to yeah, yeah, yeah. every pink floyd album and, or or go listen to like unchained by van halen like the very beginning of that has uh like phaser swooshing around on his guitar sound well regardless i've been wanting to make one for a long time and um i i, I decided i wanted to really play around with melding the world between synthesizer guys and guitar guys because even though they're both musicians both of those worlds approach uh, how they look at or utilize their equipment in so different ways. Like a guitarist is always looking at how does this piece of equipment 
play with me? How do I utilize this to accomplish a goal that I'm going for in the, in the easiest way? Uh, and if you look at guitar equipment, it's very stripped down. It's very simplistic. Um, minimize the number of knobs, minimize the features, and just make them do one thing such that the guitarist clicks it on, hears what they're doing, and then utilizes it. And that's not to, like, dig guitarists or say, like, they're dumb or simplistic or anything like that. It's really more of, like, they just need to get to the end result faster than most other people. The synthesis guys, on the other hand, are the exact opposite. They want it to be as complex and convoluted and ridiculous as possible, the more um, blinking LEDs and the more switches, the more knobs, the better. Blinking LEDs, hidden features, uh, you know, menu diving, button diving, like all of these things that like, oh, if, if you can have layers where they uncover new things that they didn't know about it, even after owning a thing for 10 years, like that is that is magical to a synthesizer guy. So I'm like, there's got to be some really cool like middle zone where the guitar guys could learn to utilize their equipment and not be afraid of more knobs. And the synth guys could like relax a little bit on extreme complexity. And there's this cool middle zone. So I created a phaser that is meant for guitar, but has a lot of synthesizer style controls, but all the controls are like unifunction. They control what they say they're going to control. They don't do extra stuff. There's not like press this button, hold this knob, and it does something else. It's like, no. the the Like there is a knob on this thing for rate. It's the rate at which the LFO oscillates. There's It doesn't do anything else. It's just the rate. Now there are like other controls that help modify that rate, but each one of those controls is a singular thing. Uh, so I'm trying to take the guitarist approach to synthesizers in that sense. So there's a lot of controls, but they're all they all do what they say they do and nothing else. Um, so I'm I'm ha having fun with that, and hopefully I'll get to build that. I'm I'm kind of thinking, get the tube compressor finished over Christmas, and then I have a day off at New Year's, do the synchrotron phaser then, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So you think you're going to finish your tube compressor? That's yeah, I, I think I will have it up and running and maybe next podcast I can actually utilize it. Uh, oh, and I can I can speak through it and we can potentially hear it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Hear it over voice over IP compression. <laughs> well, yeah, um, so I have I, I gosh, a year or two ago now I, I finished a tube preamp that, and that's that's completely functioning. So. Mm -hmm. I would love to take this mic, put it through the tube preamp, and just make the signal hot as hell, and then put it into my tube compressor such that my compressor is trying to make it not hot as hell or to compress the snot out of it. And if we do that and throw it into the stream, you guys will 100% be able to hear what it's doing. Yeah. yeah. So what do you got going on over Christmas? So the big project I've been working on past month now... Uh, yeah, about a month, maybe six weeks, is um, I think I've mentioned this once before, but my mother's golf cart. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah, rebuilding that golf cart. So it's and you're a, souping it up, too, right? Souping it up, too. It's a, it's a 2010 EasyGo TXT, which is a 36-volt lead-acid battery series golf cart. Um, it's got like a four inch lift kit on it i want to say um with some big knobby tires and stuff it's for 
the beach, right? Um, Saltwater environments. Oh, it was. I've I've never seen that much rust underneath a car or underneath a vehicle before, especially one that's made of so much plastic. It was held golf carts are like half plastic. Everything that was steel was gone. Like I, so I put it on my car lift, and the frame snapped in half. Wow. (laughs) So it was like done, done. It was done. Um, At this point, though, like uh, I mean, is it salvageable? So yes, because one of the things we wanted to do was upgrade it to forty-eight volts. So go from thirty-six to forty-eight volts. And change over to lithium batteries. And when you start pricing out like lithium powered golf carts from like Easy Go and Club Car and all those the, the big companies, like I'm like, I can just rebuild what we have for half the price. So that's mm. what we're doing. Um, I ordered a new brand new frame. Um took the frame. And so this is the problem with those easy go frames is um, they're steel, which is not a, a bad thing. It's just that they're poorly coated from factory. They just put this thing called an e-coat, which is a really thin, uh, basically a paint on it. And they don't do a really good job painting it. So like you flip it over and there's like thin spots and like spots that aren't even painted at all. Hmm. And you go, oh, that's where all the major rust was on the previous frame. So this figure. Just, yeah. So they're just not really well painted from the get go. And so I actually stripped all the e-coat off the frame. Um, and then I um, I seam welded. So, or I say seam welded, seam cocked, I guess, but they call it seam weld. It's it's a um, body seamer, basically, that you think about like a cock that you're just putting into all the cracks. So whenever two pieces of metal were butting up against each other, I would cock everything around it so that when I paint it, the paint doesn't have to flow into the crack itself it can just make a nice fillet that's what they do on cars so if you go underneath your car if underneath your car all the body seams are cocked together first and then painted mm. it just prevents water from getting into it so i did that to the entire frame then i painted it with um a uh product called it's the first time i ever used it it's called matt it's from master coat AG111, which is a paint series, actually. It's like a series of products that you have to use. But it's a first you you get down the bare metal or or you can actually just use it over old paint if you scuff it up. But um, you prep it with basically zinc phosphoric acid. And what that does is it um, it etch, basically it's an etchant, etches the paint, etches the steel, and then on the steel, it leaves behind zinc, uh, is it zinc phosphate or zinc iron? I can't remember. Anyways, it puts a zinc layer down. That's just a temporary anti-flash rusting. Because if you've ever sandblasted or like grinded metal down, and the moment it gets wet, it will immediately flash rust. Mm. And I live in Houston, which means everything's wet all the time because <laughs> it's a swamp. You're wet all the time. Exactly. And so... Um, have you like if you sandblast anything in Houston next day it's already flash rusted mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to put this this zinc phosphate on it and that will prevent it from flash rusting and the great thing about zinc phosphate is you can basically you just brush it off because it'll like dry up and there's like 
phosphate crystals on it. And so you just brush it off with a like a brass brush or I think a stainless brush is what I used. Just brush it off and then you can paint right over it. Um, so it's really nice for just your process. So you don't have to keep cleaning it basically or like strip it back down. Um, the uh, So yeah, zinc phosphated it, everything. Like 50 parts. Everything that's metal is is coated and then you put in on their metal sealer it's called metal seal product but it's a zinc based sealant um that's a it's a urethane based one part urethane and uh yeah you put two coats of that on there and then you put the last part which is an epoxy two two part um called ag11 or ag1111 and that product basically this series is what they paint uh, subway cars and stuff like that in New York. Oh wow, long term paint. Long term paint that is like something. It's like something ridiculous, like fourteen thousand. Is it fourteen? Yeah, fourteen thousand hours of salt spray is what it's rated for. <laughs> just constant. It's just ridiculous. So like everything is coated in that, including my hands a little bit, even though. I, like it's amazing you can wear gloves and you don't get any holes in your gloves and you still take your glove off and you're like how do I get paint there? <laughs> um, but definitely if you if anyone out there is, I don't know any long term stuff yet with this product. I mean it's got the credentials and it's got like, like you read like all the stuff it's that is, like it's resistant to. It's like it you cannot. The only way to remove it is by abrasive there's no way to chemically remove this stuff once it's mm. hardened that's great um i'm looking forward to not having to worry about my mother's golf cart ever resting ever again <laughs> what i what i'm curious about though like how thick does it go on it's pretty thin is it okay so like so one if you have like quart, bolt holes or something like that you don't have to worry about opening them up correct or, the, or yeah because, yeah, like, with powder coating and things like that, it yeah, it gets real thick. Yeah, and that's actually one thing is I thought about powder coating. The problem with powder coating, especially down in Galveston on the coast, is the moment you get one scratch, it will start bubbling underneath and it travels underneath. Because mm-hmm. the what happens is the powder coat like will trap the moisture. It. Yeah, it traps the moisture and then it will keep rusting and bubbling up. Whereas, um. And and chat, Cobby Smith. It's a product called Master Coat. If you just search that company, you'll find it. Uh, the product's AG one one one. They sell like a whole like kit that you can use for frames. So one quart of like the sealer and one quart of the top coat was enough to do like the entire golf cart. So that was like was the it, frame. Was it pricey or is it really reasonable? A uh, hundred and forty dollars for like the prep sealer and the top coat, which is about normal for industrial coating. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's not like it's not like super cheap, but it no. should last a long time. It should last a long time. Um, it's highly regarded in like the hot rod community for frames and stuff. You definitely want to like. I have a full face, like 3M respirator that covers your entire head because, yeah. like, it's pretty nasty stuff. Like, I was wearing a Tyvek suit, gloves, head sock, that mask on, 
and I was like all done, and I take it off, and I'm like, whoo. <laughs> it's that bad? Yeah. Had the big fan running in the garage, just blowing every all the fumes out the garage. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, it turned out really good so far. I won't know about longevity yet, but kind of the idea about doing this on the my mom's golf cart is I'm going to put it together and then see how well it works like a year down the road. And if it still looks brand new, then I'm like, okay, it's probably fine to put underneath a car, right? <laughs> That's not going to oh, be anywhere sure. near the yeah. coast. Because the problem is that golf cart goes onto the beach and then drives like on the wet sand. So you got you got this wet abrasive material that's also salty getting flung up by the tires underneath it. Yeah. So yeah. that's why uh there's a lot of different other frame paint product products out there. This is the one I was like it actually has test ratings for everything. Instead of like a lot of automotive stuff would be like this is anti-rust and you look into it and it just says it's anti-rust. Right. It doesn't have really have, really good. Yeah, it doesn't actually have ratings and like this has like um it's not what we would say like IPC specs for stuff like in like IPC 610. IP, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stuff. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's, you're talking about like enclosure ratings. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm okay, so you're, like, ta- you're talking about like PCB stuff. Yeah, like IPC 610 for PCBs and stuff. We have like a rating of like what quality is. There's, oh, I see where you go. This yeah, has yeah. the same kind of certs for its material. I don't remember what they are, but it has them so that's cool it, um, it, it gives you a little bit more of the warm and fuzzies a little bit yeah um and i also really like how basically how the since you basically use a three-part system you prepped it and then you put a sealer on it and then you put this top coat on it is even if the top coat gets chipped even though it's like super super hard even though it does get chipped because when you put a bolt into something and tighten it down that nut's going to rub on the paint and it's gonna grind some of the paint off and, and scratch it. Is it won't affect the sealer. The sealer actually like kind of soaks into the metal. Hmm. And so even if it does that, it won't the any rust that does form won't go past that cut into the coating, unlike powder coats. We'll see how well that translates, but I if that works really well, then I'm like, that's awesome. Then all you gotta do is every so often like find a, the scratch and then like hit it with a little scotch bright and then with a little spray paint over it and you're done. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big thing about powder coating. It's really awesome until it gets its first chip. That yeah, first then it's chip. game over, right? Powder coat looks so nice though. It yeah, it's super and and it's and it, it generally inexpensive and you get the ability to uh choose a bunch of different finishes and a bunch of different colors. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just painting part of this project which is almost done um i finished painting it on sunday so like my garage everything's still hanging in my garage does it so still hoping, stink in there no it doesn't anymore okay, um, so it's, i'm hoping yeah. tomorrow to take everything down and just lay everything out on a bunch of folding i i have like four folding tables i'm gonna lay everything out and then i'm gonna inspect them make sure i got good coverage because I'm going to get, I'm going to actually have my, I'm going to put a headlamp on. And so I can actually like really look at them, make sure I got good coverage. Cause the last thing I want is paint being thin in a spot and it rusts through in that one spot. And all this work is for you not, ruined right? it all at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to inspect it all. I actually have a sheet of 
those little SMT inspection stickers. <laughs> and so if I find a thin spot, I'm going to sticker it. Yeah, put a little arrow towards put it. Put a little arrow, and it's and, and they're yellow. So and yellow contrast really good on the on the black paint, yeah. so that I can easily figure out where where the spots are at. Because my idea is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to assemble it all. I'm not going to touch up yet. I'm going to I'm going to put it all together and then touch it up at the end. Right. It, and so that way, it up in place. Yeah, touched up in place, and that way, less risk of introducing more scratches or chips. Because uh, when you assemble stuff, it's not going to be perfect, right? You're going to have to, like, hammer stuff together because, you know, the paint is thicker than what it originally was, too. Because it used to be just E-coat, which is super thin. So it is going to be a little bit thicker. So I might have some clearance problems or might have to, like, chase some threads, that kind of stuff. Um, okay, but- I, I've, I've got a funny quick tangent. Uh, so you, you were saying like, you have to hammer things together and, and, yeah. and, and that's, that's true. To, and, and a funny side story on it. So we, we, I've, uh, been making a lot of changes at work. And one of the things that we're, that I've, I'm doing at, at work is, um, we're moving all of our inventory, hundred percent of our inventory, uh, is getting moved. Uh, so I created a new area for inventory. We're doing shelves. So we're doing a cycle count of literally everything in the shop, getting rid of old stuff, and then making a whole new location. So we we had pallet racks at it for some uh, period of time, and uh, we needed to buy some more. So actually, just this morning, I went out and bought new pallet rack beams, the cross beams, eight foot. Yeah. They're the teardrop style. That, that, oh, that like we had snap a- in. Yeah, we had the Fab mm-hmm. Two. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone, if you've if you've worked in manufacturing at all, you've or, or even if you've worked at like department stores like Home Depot, Walmart, you know anything like that where they have this kind of racking, um, it's so weird because it's like pallet rack goes from being brand new to being janky and destroyed in like two minutes. Like, it <laughs> so just ships right off. Well, and if you've ever had to like disassemble a pallet rack and then reassemble it, like. It it can be a nightmare if you have old used stuff. But today I got brand new pallet racking and it was a dream. Like you just it just clicks right in and everything yeah, slides it drops down. Right in. Yep. We had some used stuff that we had to get an 80-pound sledgehammer to just beat the the bars out of them uh previously. And like we hadn't touched these in years. They literally just sat there. It's like it's like they degrade somehow by just sitting there. Just a little bit of corrosion. I suppose, but and I mean, a lot it's, of weight. but it's just, I don't know if it, it's been my experience with pallet racking that, uh, even if, even if you just click it into place and it sits there, the next time you go to disassemble it, it will be a nightmare. Yeah. And well, and I was telling that to all, everyone as we were building, I was like, we're building this now. And if we ever have to leave this building, it's going to be awful that when we, uh, undo these. <laughs> well, remember when we moved the fab for the is your first time moving fab, my right. second time moving the fab. And we had to take our pallet racks apart. Yeah. And they, yeah, it was a, it was, it wasn't as bad as 80 pound sledge, but it was five pound sledges. <laughs> yeah. Beating on it to get the bars to and come then, out. Of and the then we moved it basically only halfway across Houston. And guess what? We set it up and everything just goes click into place. <laughs> Cause they yeah. were, they were only like two years old at that point. So like they still had fresh paint and still on them. Right. But yeah, but everything just kind of clicks together. It goes together so easy. It's a nightmare to take them apart. It's they're awful to take off. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm hoping the good thing is most all the fasteners that are on this golf cart are stainless. So that's good. I'm just going to clean them up on the wire wheel, put them back on. Um, now, electrical. Went to, um, it used to be 36 volt lead acid. And so that was six, six volt batteries. Like think of a car battery, but instead of 12 volts, it output six volts and you have six of them. So 36 volts. Well, I'm moving over to lithium and there's a couple different lithium systems you can buy out there for golf carts or for cars, anything that's 12 volt rated or six volt or whatever. You can get six volt lithiums. So you would need six of those or you would need uh, eight of those because I wanted to go to uh, 48. 48 volts. And it's got room underneath it to fit eight batteries. It's like there's like two spots that you can put two more batteries in. Um, but I was looking around and there's a company called Allied Batteries, and they make a different system where one cell outputs 48 volts. I mean, there's probably multiple lithium cells inside of that. Yeah, just all in a box case. Yeah, but one case is 48, which is really nice because i can get three of those so three of those at 48 volts is like 96 amp hours in parallel so i think each battery is like 33 amp hours then and one one uh what 33.33 repeating of course amp hours <laughs> um so it's 100 almost 100 amp hours whereas the original 36 volt six by six volt cell bank was about 100 amp hours total because each lead acid battery is 100 amp hours at six volts, and they're all in in a series. And so I'm getting the same amount, basically about the same amount of amp hours with more voltage now, with three less cells. And each battery is like only 40% of the weight as a full cell. So like basically, I cut like 300 pounds off this bat- golf cart. Wow. And the great thing about it is. Since I went this route, if my mom or my dad need more range for the golf cart, instead of having to basically sell all the batteries and then rejuggle the configuration of like the series of batteries so I can still hit 48 volts, I just have to put another 48 volt in there and put it in parallel. Hey, I'm I'm on their website right now. It looks like they go all the way up to 72 volts. I mean, don't you want so, your mom to haul ass around? So that so that's the other part of the equation is I bought a new uh, electric motor controller for the whole golf cart and it's it's it can go up to 96 volts. So I basically bought the biggest of the baddest. Uh, it's by all tracks. I think is what's called the brand. All right. Um, and I went with the like, I think it's like 96 volts at 500 amps is what this motor controller can Whoa. do. I went that route, though in case my parents ever want to go more voltage. The reason why I stuck with 48 is because that's about the max that motor electric motor can handle. Mm. Cause we're technically over volting it already. Cause it's only technically rated for 36, but you can run 48 through it. It's fine. As long as you keep the, the main thing you actually run into with that motor is, is over revving it or over spinning it. And so you, the stator runs too yeah, stator runs too fast and the stator explodes inside the motor. I think once you get to like, I think I think they max out at like 8,000 RPM and then the stator explodes. 
Um, <laughs> That's a so lot. we'll probably limit it to like 6,000 RPM. Be a little safe. Whereas like on the old 36 volt, it can never even get to that RPM range anyways. But now we can. And so you, so basically what you do when you control um, the motor with this, this because uh, you're running more voltage, um, is you don't want it just to use the, all that extra voltage because it would it would be too much power for that motor to handle is you actually with the motor controller you limit how much power it can take not how much current it takes or how much voltage it takes just you limit the max power that you can deliver at once to the motor and the motor controller will just basically shunt the current and lower it down to make sure it doesn't uh, overpower it but the great thing about that is with 48 volts you have more potential and so you can basically get a faster rise time in your motor and it will go faster, a lot faster, especially once you, uh, I think that it'll, it'll basically go about 25 miles an hour is what I calculated. That's pretty fast for a little golf cart. Well, yeah. The stock speed is like 14. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be a little quick and we're keeping the stock brakes for now. <laughs> and the stock brakes are just two rear drums that are like, they're no bigger than a teacup saucer. Like they are seriously like six inches in diameter. Nice. Little tiny drums. So it's um, going to be scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do those motors have a transmission on them or are they like direct drive to the wheel? It's direct drive into a, uh, into a gear set for the differential. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got, it's got a gear reduction in there. In the, okay. Um, right. I don't remember what the ratio is, but it's like it basically think about if if your car didn't have a transmission, so the engine went right into the differential because your differential's got a gear reduction in it, mm-hmm. um, and so it's whatever that reduction is is what your final drive ratio is. Well, so wait, is the, the only reduction in the differential on this thing, or is there a separate? No, that's it. As well. It's a differential. Well, and then you also factor in your tire size. Because I was thinking, yeah, it. you get, you have your tire size, right? And I was thinking if the max is 8,000 RPM, if one of those little tires is ripping at 8,000 RPM. No, right? I think it's eight. It, I haven't checked. The, I don't remember. Well, I have checked. I don't remember what the final drive, uh, the differential ratio is. I want to say it's four to one somewhere. It's either three to one or four to one, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just just the thinking about those numbers. It seems like with the with the diameter of that wheel, that would be really fast. Yeah. And so my idea was go forty eight because that's about the max performance we'll get out of the stator that's in that motor. And if they ever want more, then we can we I can sell basically the forty eight volt lithiums and I can put seventy two volts and then put a bigger or a, basically a different motor that has the. Um, main thing is the. Am I using stator right? What's a commentator? A rotor. Why am I? Right? I don't mm-hmm. think it's stator. Yeah, it might be commentator. I might be using that. What the, right. What is the diameter of of those golf cart wheels? Are they ten inch? They got to be a little bit bigger, I would think. Oh, um. I think it's 18 inches is the diameter of the wheel. I mean, the tire. The tire. Commutator is what, not not stator. Commutator. Yeah. 
Commutator is the spinny bit in an electric motor. My right, bad. stator is the stationary bit. Yep. Which, thinking about it, that I was thinking about a brushless motor because brushless they're kind of inversed. But yes, the commutator is the term I was thinking about. I got that wrong for the last twenty minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, because the the thing about the stock motor on those golf carts is the commutator can only spin up to like 8,000 RPM if you're lucky. Yeah. And then uh, you need more voltage isolation to go higher voltage. So. And yes, uh, in chat, broke copy Smith, the golf cart is real drive. Uh, I have thought about making all wheel, um, but you'd have to dual motor it and then figure out how to like do a CV joint in the front. It's not really set up for it because it's um, the the front axle is a solid axle with uh, kingpins, so it, you can't really fit a CV joint in there. It's not like a a, a knuckle or a uh, dual wishbone setup where you can easily add a add a drive into their a drive axle. I'd love to do it though. I've saw some kits for it. Maybe if you turn the whole axle like this. <laughs> I can't remember what kind of steering that is, but it's awesome. It has, uh, so for those that are listening to the podcast, I was doing like a seesaw motion. It's kind of like um, really, if you ever made like a soapbox, it's like how soapbox uh, um, carts turn. You just have a one pivot and the whole axle in the front pivots around it. It's great for something lightweight like a soapbox, but once you get enough weight, the scrub radius really starts to hurt you. So, so that's the that's the, <laughs> my mom's golf cart. You know, I, so so wait, I've given given the diameter of the wheel uh, of of eighteen inches and uh, an eight thousand RPM max on that uh, on that motor. I kind of back calculated. Maybe I got something wrong along the way, but I back calculated that at eight thousand RPM. It would only be eight point, or it would basically be nine miles an hour. Uh, so I think I think perhaps there's something with um, maybe I got something wrong there, but because because gut feel to, uh, was like ah, that seems really really fast, but maybe not. What twenty five? Well, no, I mean it, eight, eight of the the motor running at eight thousand uh, RPM. What that translates to in speed seems like it would be really fast, but maybe the the uh, maybe the gear differential of four to one is incorrect. it's twelve to one actually in the rear. Is it really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, something something seems off there because that would be slower in my calculation then. Oh well. <clears throat> oh, well. So yeah, that's the golf guy. So so, uh, what are you doing on uh, what part of? Oh, are you working on over Christmas. Um, so over Christmas is the reassembly and then getting electric work, working. Oh, my favorite thing is I got to buy the biggest cable cabling I ever bought for a DC current setup. Okay, one out wire. Wow, yeah, like, it's stock like four gauge. <laughs> I'm um, one on. 
Well, so how I, like how like what kind of connections are? Did you get one of those big like barrel crimpers? That oh, I, I, I've got barrel crimpers for doing battery cables and stuff. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, I got one aught uh, lugs and stuff for it. So I get to make a bunch of battery connectors. Basically, that has a diameter of uh, 0.289 inches. Yeah, that's a that's a fat boy. It's not the biggest conductor I ever bought, but it's the biggest for DC I've ever bought. Um, because I bought. I think I bought four aught four conductor before for running power, running three phase power out in Oklahoma <laughs> when I worked up there. Nice uh, in the oil field for a bit. Uh, on my brew rig, um, some of the wiring is uh, four wire six gauge, and that's beefy. Six gauge is is beefy, yeah. Because I have six gauge on mine, uh, brew rig too. Yeah, but yeah, um. And that's AC though, um, but yeah, this is this is one aught for DC, <laughs> forty eight <laughs> volt. At, that's beefy. Um, potential five hundred amp. It's probably only going to be like two fifty, maybe three hundred peak. So, but I wanted I wanted to spec it so I can just use the cables later if we ever go seventy two volts and more amperage later down the road. Right. So. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this coating really holds up. And it's kind of also my first uh, dabble into the motor controller is programmable too. So learning how to program a DC motor, that's that powerful. That that's kind of like learning kind of like electric car stuff. I do kind of want to build my own electric commuter car someday. And this is kind of my way of, I get to test a lot of stuff. I get to test like this new coating, this new kind of process of processing a frame to keep it from rusting, building ginormous battery cables. Like, do I have the right tools to make that work? How is the, um, is the accelerator connected to like a, um, uh, an encoder or is it, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's actually connected to a, so on this, some golf courts use an encoder. This uses a, ferrous rod that goes through a a hall effect sensor oh okay so when you, okay so when you push the pedal down it moves a rod through basically a donut right right okay so and i bet you that rod is probably magnetized in a certain way so the hall effect sensor knows the position because it doesn't absolute position on it it's not a relative position so it's got to be a some kind of special you know, feedback uh, rod on it or something. It'd be mm. interesting. You know that like that plastic that AVE, the YouTuber AVE does to see magnetic fields. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. How? What is that stuff called? What's yeah? Um, gosh, I should get some. He even has a whole video, well, a short one about that because he's he was asked so many times. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get some of that and see what this rod is that's on the throttle. Because it has to be some kind of, you know. Yeah, magnetic viewing film. That's what it's called. Okay. I'll have to go look some of that up. Yeah. uh, Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I I just went to a link on Amazon. It's 10 bucks for a big old sheet of it. I'll go order that after this podcast. Because I'd love to see what that actually looks like. Um, see if it's a, I bet you it's like a gradient, like one end, like a cone almost. Yeah, like a cone. 
because um, then it would know basically that sensor would know where that rod is at inside of its donut hole. Yeah, it would seem like a system like that is uh, like probably has pretty wide tolerance. I wonder if it has some kind of a calibration thing where it's like, here's the pedal at none, here's the pedal at max, uh, and then it can yeah. like interpolate in between. Yeah, um, I was looking at the software for that controller, and yeah, there's like a calibration, like yep, okay, so that's got zero, be and this is 100 percent throttle, and then it just goes, okay, here's your linear map in between. Yeah, I'm <laughs> guessing everything in between <laughs> is linear or linear yeah. enough because it's a it's a golf cart, so. right? Yeah, well, it's a golf cart, but but you'd be surprised at how good human minds are at like piding their their limbs to adjust yeah. for how a system responds. Yes, yes. Um, and then before we go back to one of your, what you're going to be working on, because the next one I think is we're going to talk about is TIG welding and something I want to talk to you about that too. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the red Jeep is all back together and I actually been driving it around. There is one thing stopping it from being done. I cannot get the belt I don't know to stop. if I believe you on that. <laughs> don't believe me on that? <laughs> there is another project that's out there, but I'm not actually going to be working on that project. I'm actually going to take it to Gasp, a shop, to do it, to do the fabrication work. That's so, going sorry, to be... I, I interrupted you. What, what was what was no, wrong with it? No, that... Um, or not wrong. Oh. Uh, what was the one thing? The one thing is the serpentine belt, that the drive belt that runs all the accessories will not stop squealing. And I have no idea how to keep it from squealing. Just put it's, a little bit of grease on it. It'll be fine. So, um, <laughs> no. That's not how that works. <laughs> like, I replace every single pulley, every single idler belt, every single... It's not anything like that. If you spray a little bit of degreaser on it, the squeal immediately goes away. So it's something with it slipping too much. Mm. Um. Now tighten it, loosen it, tighten it, loosen it. Try different belts, different brands. I know what pulley it's slipping on, and it's the alternator pulley. And basically, because now I don't have enough like wrap around the pulley, because my new I have a new uh, air compressor, onboard air compressor, and so I don't have enough wrap around the basically the alternator pulley. I'm actually thinking about taking that pulley off. And there's a couple different products out there you can get applied to them because um, there's a lot of superchargers out there that are run off serpentine belts now. Um, so you can basically force inject air uh, into your engine with the serpentine. Because like when you remember, if you think of like a classic supercharger, like the supercharger is like sticking out of the out of the hood with the big baffles moving around. Those are driven off cogged like timing belts because they don't want any of the belt to slip because you want all the compression. Um, well, modern cars, like let's say like a Dodge Hellcat that has a supercharged engine underneath it, it actually runs its belt off a serp off its normal serpentine belt. Um, but when you start running a lot of boost on those kind of engines, you start getting belt slip, which means you don't get as much boost as you want. And so they apply a basically a super textured, almost like a powder coat, but it's like grippy, like a super grippy powder coat to a pulley. And then that makes so it doesn't slip. And then why, why don't you just change the cogs and chain? 
and just chain drive it. Chain drive the whole thing? That'd be so noisy. Yeah, it would be so loud. And you'd probably have to have an... You'd have to have like an oil drip or something like that. Yeah, you'd have to have... Oh, God, that'd be awful. They'd be slinging it around everywhere. Yeah. All that oil. It'd be messy, but zero slip. Only only chain stretch. And actually, that's not a good thing. Um, On a... We're going to get into more science here. And the reason why they use belts for that kind of stuff is because they do want some slippage and they do want some flex because if you think about revving your engine, okay, you're revving your engine and then you immediately throw, you take your throttle, uh, uh, your foot off the throttle. And so your engine RPM immediately drops down to like 700 or idle, whatever it is. Well, all your other accessories have all this inertia built up and now they need to have to slow down. So think about like a, it's like an inductor. It doesn't want to change. It's inertia. And so that you need that belt to kind of like flex and give. And some cars have like auto tensioners that allow even more flex in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually a chain drive probably wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. My, my Tacoma has that, um, an auto tensioner on it. Um, yeah. That's uh it's a little bit of a pain in the butt to, if you ever have to actually work on the serpentine, yeah. but yes. Yeah. Most, I think most cars do now. I think the funny thing is that red Jeep, it was like one of the last cars that didn't have an auto tensioner with a serpentine. It's got like a screw drive that you can tighten and loosen it. Um, so I'm also, I'm thinking about taking that pulley out and just getting it uh, coated in that stuff. And that will definitely stop it from squealing. Cause it will, it cannot slip after that. <laughs> it does slightly shorten belt life, but $10 belt every couple of years versus listen to going <laughs> all the time. It is, it's, it's at this point, it's like, it's embarrassing to drive around mm. how much noise it makes. And it's just that freaking thing squealing. It's, That's it's the awful. Worst. Yeah. All right. TIG welding. So, uh, yeah, this, this is a, a, a future project, but, but something that I'm keeping my eye on right now. And, um, I'm going to start doing some practicing on this because I bought a TIG welder three years ago, something like that. And, um, if you looked at my welds, you'd be disgusted. TIG welding is just really, really hard. It's super hard. It's really hard. Um, I would- and I want to get better at it because it's yeah. really cool. And there's a lot of things you can do with it. And, um, one of the things that, so I, when I first started, I was just like, go buy chunks of cold rolled steel and stick them together. That's like it, uh, basically. I did weld up an aluminum bike frame, and that worked, and it still holds up, and that's that's fine. Yeah, we did uh, that when I was up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Parker inspected my weld. It worked. Yeah. Um, still, still holds my fat butt. And you were like, eh. and I'm like, dude, you got to paint it. <laughs> Yep. Yep. It's still, yeah. We just put some random red spray paint on it. It yeah. works. It works. Uh, so the, the, the thing about it is I've been looking at my brew rig. I've brewed a handful of times since both Parker and I finished our brew rigs into their current state. And there's a, there's a few things I'm like with a TIG welder, I could, I could get rid of a lot of problems that I have with my rig. I so a lot of my my rig is holes punched in the side of a kettle, and then um, you know with with silicon gaskets, 
yeah, well, uh, valves fittings. are screwed in. I hate that. I absolutely I hate, hate them it. so much. Yeah. They're, it, they're, it's worthless. It's garbage. They leak, and you have to be so careful about how you tighten everything. And, like, NPT fittings are fun and all, but, like, I just hate it. I want to hard weld my stuff to my kettle. I just be done with it. Uh, and and so the problem is what I want to uh, what I'm looking for is a really difficult weld because you have a giant chunk of steel that you're trying to pin to twenty thousandths of stainless sheet metal. Uh, so that's exactly really, what TIG's for, though. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. This is where TIG is magical, um, but that requires a ton of skill. Uh, because, and I have tried sticking a big thing to sheet metal before. And of course it did the newbie thing where like you start up the TIG welder and then poof, just a hole, yeah, right? Punch through a hole right through the sheet. Straight yeah. through. Uh, but, but I've been, I've been looking at doing tack welds that where basically the strategy is in general with TIG welding, the, the, the rule of thumb is one amp per one thousandth of, of thickness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, with with uh, sheet steel, you know, say twenty twenty thou thickness or something like that, you'd go twenty amps. But with with this uh, new strategy that I'm wanna I want to play around with, uh, with just tacking things, is you double the amperage and you use a finger controller, which actually came in my kit. And basically, what you do is you just blast it with double amperage as fast as possible. And what that does is it just gives a quick surface tack on everything and you do that all around the weld and then you can go back and clean things up at a lower amperage um, because I want to buy some like uh, threaded bungs that I can fit through a hole and just tack all around without the worry of punching right through. So I'm going to get my TIG welder. Uh, I need more gas for it. But um, if I have some time over Christmas, I want to just go get some sheet steel and put big blocks of steel onto thin sheets of steel yep. and just blast them. Yeah, that's one thing I haven't done yet. Because when I first got my, I got a MIG welder first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went to our the local hackerspace here in Houston, uh, TXRX, and I took a welding class there. And I don't know how they teach welding at other places or other hackerspaces, but at TXRX, they don't teach you how to weld as much as they teach you how to practice welding. It's a difference there because you're not going to learn how to weld in an afternoon. Mm-mm, no. So what they try to do is like basically it's like half the class's safety of like, making sure you can properly operate something that's going to spit out, a, you know, 200 amps. Right. Right. Um, and uh, most of it's about temperature, safety, that kind of stuff. And then you start learning how to practice to weld um, pro- proper technique, how to hold the, the gun, right. That kind of stuff. Um, and there's a, and then a little bit of science on like, this is what gas does. This is what other gases can do. Um, and then I went home. I bought a MIG welder and I spent like every single afternoon a- after work in my garage welding metal to metal. Mm. Just cold old steel to cold old steel. Just like just constant practice. Constant practice. And after about a month, I built my first thing. I built a welding table. And uh, I still use that table every day. 
And I still don't say I'm a welder because I would, for me, you have to be certified to be a welder, in my opinion. You can I'm, stick things together. I can stick metal together really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, though, I do use a grinder, a really big hot glue gun. Yeah, it's very, that's actually how I explain people to, but MIG welding is it's using a glue gun that just spits out metal instead of what liquid nylon or what is glue? What is glue gun material? What is that? Polyester? <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Uh, off to Google. Sure. Bonder all purpose stick glue sticks. What is this made out of? Doesn't say what actually plastic it is. <laughs> Uh, the most commonly used polymers in hot glue guns include ethylene vinyl acetate. Well, polyesters, you were right. Okay, yeah. polyethylene and ethyl methyl acrylate. Yeah. Go figure. Speaking of hot glue, oh, hot glue guns should have been on our like equipment list because I use no, them all the time. Don't use hot glue guns. No. I love hot glue guns. No. Hot glue guns are... Are for they're for arts and crafts. They're not for like <laughs> engineering. What if you have an industrial hot glue gun like I do? That's a MIG welder. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it gets up. Well, MIG is way hotter, but this is 400 degree Fahrenheit hot glue gun. Thing's awesome. Okay, hot hot glue guns for like hot snot on capacitors and things like that. That's thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you're well, trying to if on. you're trying to build a product. <laughs> And you have oh, to yeah, hot yeah, yeah. glue your enclosure together. Like, yeah, yeah. that's a big no-no. I agree. No -no. I agree. <laughs> but for doing prototypes, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah and, uh, as Awesome Blossom says in chat, industrial arts and crafts. <laughs> uh, I like that. So MIG, that's great. So MIG welding is like that. Um, I would 100% recommend, like, going to like your local hackerspace and taking a welding class on MIG welding. I would say just don't do, unless you have an application, don't, because a lot of old welders and stuff like that would be like, you should store on stick. I'm like, you only do stick if you're welding like rail cars together. And and it's like, uh, they, I, I feel like a lot of um, people say that it's like school of hard knocks. You got to learn the way I yeah. learned. Exactly. Oh, well, you'll be fine. Pick up MIG. Because you can, because MIG, you can do practically anything with MIG. Right. MIG um, is very much the most versatile. Very, you can even do sheet metal with MIG. You just get mm -hmm. the small, you get O27 wire and turn your amperage down, use a little less gas. And you can do, I've done sheet metal. I've done, uh, I don't remember how, I think 16 gauge is the thinnest I've done. Um, and it turned out great. Um, now, TIG welding. I picked up my TIG welder, what, two years ago? No, a year, Not a year and a half ago. Yeah. It was, no, it was during COVID, when COVID was, was because I had to have... Um, so within the last it. two years. Yeah, it was within the last two years then. Um, man, I had not put my dedication into practicing as much as I need to. Because I think I started, I started off on aluminum first and got really frustrated. Because <laughs> nothing sticks. <sighs> It wasn't. It wasn't that. It's just sometimes I was. I like. I couldn't form a puddle on the aluminum, and I know it's because aluminum oxide. But I like would take it to a belt sander, and it sand the whole surface off, and I still couldn't like make a puddle on that aluminum. And then I'd pull like some random aluminum I had like 
outside for like five years and I could make a puddle right away. I'm like, without even cleaning it. I'm like, what, the, what is going on? Different no alloys of aluminum respond massively different. And yeah. you gotta, you gotta change your uh, duty cycle and everything. Yeah, it's, oh, it's rough. So this, <laughs> I had one piece of aluminum. I could not form a puddle. I turned the inside of that stock bar into a, a molten aluminum. <laughs> the outside oxide that I thought w- couldn't have existed because I belt sanded it off. It was like, it was like a jelly bean of aluminum. Oh, gross! Where the outside was just, I couldn't make oxide a bead layers. on it. I, like yeah. a, like a, a like a, a one thousandth thick or less, I guess, uh, oxide yeah. layer that just holds this molten aluminum. <laughs> yeah, it was so frustrating because I just kept pumping amperage into. It. I'm like, you have to make me. I had to make a puddle and just would not. And eventually I stopped and I, I, I could poke and like make the whole thing jiggle. Cause it was just full of molten aluminum uh, from my, from my research, which is, is minimal, but yeah, with aluminum that the duty cycle is what matters. Cause, uh, yeah, because you, have to, and you and have to punch AC. through and then be, and then pull away basically. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's all I was trying. I was trying all different settings. I could not make that piece of aluminum. I just chucked it. Um, and so I got discouraged yeah I got discouraged and then I had a project where I needed to put some pieces of stainless together for my red jeep and I actually showed you I sent you those pictures uh, because I can post those pictures on uh, podcast notes and uh, I just tacked two little brackets stainless brackets onto a stainless little reservoir basically for my radiator and they're not pretty, but I'm like they're still holding, and they not they're not rusting away. They look, I mean, I actually polished shiny. them up, so they nice and shiny. And I'm like, okay, that kind of re motivated me, I think. Because now I've been, yeah, so I, what I've, I've done, to back away from aluminum, and just I'm going to work. I'm going okay. I'm just going to do steel. I'm going to practice on steel until I can get steel to look good, TIG welding it, and then go to aluminum. I, I did nearly the exact same thing where I, I was like, I did some steel. I was like, okay, I get the the basics of it. I'm not good at it, but I get the basics. I was like, I, I really wanted to try some aluminum. So I, I tried aluminum and it was like, I'm the worst welder that has ever existed ever. And then, yeah. and then you, if you ever need some confidence, just go buy a bar of, of garbage steel from Home Depot and you could stick that to anything with a tape. Anything, welder. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and a so I have a project i bought all the material for that i want to build and i want to tig weld it because i can easily mig weld this together like yeah. i'm like i'm like parker you can do less than like 30 minutes with the mig welder <laughs> yeah. but i want to do it in tig and i know it's going to take me like three days to do it with tig and you'll be mad the whole time <laughs> mad the whole time i got i got to build the motion the, the motion skills up yeah. using that tool um is i want to build a Gas can holder for the back of my red Jeep. Oh, that's cool. So, so when I off road, I can huck a five gallon jerry can in the back, um, and then uh, and have like a little latch on it so that yeah, well, yeah, well, like a little hinge. Yeah, so you can pop it in, uh, and uh, not have to worry about it. And then that, and I also want to make it so it can pop. The whole thing can come off. So when I'm like not off roading, which mm. is most of the time with that car. I can just have it not on the Jeep. And so it's not sitting back there rattling all the time or mm. just being empty. Cause I'm not going to carry five gallons of gas on the back of the Jeep all the time. That's a, probably a good idea. It's just 
a lot of people do that. I'm like, why are you carrying all that extra weight for nothing? Anyways, um, so that I, that's the project I want to build. I have all the angle iron. I bought like little bumpers. Like I already calculated out like how big I need to make it. And I bought little bumpers that can line the inside of it so that when you fit the jerry can in, it doesn't rattle around on metal. Really looking forward to doing that. I just got to get the... Gotta get the time. I think it's after the golf cart. Let's finally yeah. get that done. And that freaking belt. And that may, may, you know, actually, that might coincide. Maybe we'll be doing TIG welding products at the, at yeah. the same time. Share notes. Because I am... <laughs> and the notes are just like, is it going well for you? No. Is it no. going well for you? No. no. <laughs> um, That's TIG that'd be fun to like stream the first that. Like, do a dual stream. Yeah, I'm done. Like, yeah, we won't be able to, like... People won't be able to see the bead, but I just be like, we'll try it and like show the camera and stuff and how. Yeah, awful let's do we're it. it. I'd, I'd love to do that because I'm literally just my thoughts right now is I'm just gonna find some way to take the valves on my uh, brew rig, stick them to the front, and just tack them in place because they don't need to be unbelievably strong. They just need to sit there and yeah. not leak. And I'm thinking and just not leak. Spin it like go all around the circumference and just tack weld a bunch of times, uh, and do that all without blowing holes through the sheet metal. Yep, yep. Yeah, I haven't gotten... That would be the next step is trying to... Because I want to do the same thing with my brew rig is move away from... Um, mine are actually sweated on or soldered on. Right. Which are okay. But I want to do a bottom drain, and the only way to do that, I think, is with TIG welding. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now... One more topic, and I will, this is a long podcast, but hey, it's Christmas miracle. <laughs> is a uh, local electronic store talk. So, um, Misha, who's actually the CEO of MacFab, actually posted this top like an article for EPO, which is Electronic Parts Outlet here in Houston, in our Slack channel a couple of days ago. At this point, and so we were talking about local part stores and stuff like that. And I kind of want to, so in Houston, we've got two that I know of. There might be more ever. We're not going to include radio shack anymore. Unless you, if anyone has a legit radio shack, that's still open post in our Slack channel. Um, Cause I thought, I think they're all out of business now at this point, there might be some franchises left, but and then Fry's Electronics went out because mm-hmm. they used to have a a small small section. They Micro Center an has a small section. Who does? Micro Center. Micro Center has a section. It, Is it yeah. as big as Fry's was? No, no, maybe a third. Okay, but they still have a DIY electronics projects area. Um, so. And Houston, we have EPO then, Electronic Parts Outlet, and then there's Ace Electronics. And what's interesting is this is not a dig at any of the companies, but whenever I see this article of like, it's always EPO is on the brink of going out of business, but no one talks about Ace Electronics. Even though I think they just cater to different crowds, maybe. They, they 100%. That's exactly it. Like, in, industry goes to Ace because they have, it, it, that's, just how it is. Yeah. And then hobbyists go to EPO. Um, yeah. I think that's what it is. 
Yeah. And it's <laughs> when you walk in there, it's definitely completely different kinds of way of running business, too. Um, it's also the, 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 the people who run the stores no dig on anyone at either store they're very different like if you go to epo it's going to be a chat about like arduinos and if you go to ace it's going to be like hey this thing in my downhole whatever radio needs replaced and they'll be like oh it's over here yeah um because i I shop at both Mm -hmm. um and just recently i was at epo it's first time in a couple years two years been two years since i've been to epo and I went over there to buy some parts for my pinball machine. I needed a, a uh, what was it, a Norgate? Can't remember what was that part number I sent you. It's like a uh, quad Norgate, yeah, something like that, some Logic chip. Yeah, it was a quad Logic gate. Um, I think it was a Norgate or Nan. Nan, I think it was a Nan gate. Anyways, um, it, I called up EP because EPO is actually closer to my home, whereas Ace is closer to Macrofab. So if I'm at, at MacRab, I just go to Ace. If I'm at home, I go to EPO. Um, called them up, and they, they're like, yeah, we got a drawer for those. And I'm like, awesome. Went over there, picked some up. And it's – it's so um, it's a, it was full of people buying stuff. And, like, that place has gotten even more jam-packed of stuff now. Oh, it's it's floor to ceiling. It's always stuff. been like floor to ceiling, but it's even more floor to ceiling somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's nice having that kind of option because my only other option would be ordering it on Mauser and waiting a couple days, right? And also paying eight dollars in shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I kind of want to know anyone out there what local part stores do y'all have to buy parts up. Just share them in our Slack channel. Because I know, like, in California, especially, like, Silicon Valley area has got some. Um, I know some have closed down, too, recently. Um, so, Stephen, because you've been in Denver for three years now? Yeah, yeah, three and a half. If you need to get a logic gate, quad logic gate, is there a place you can go run and buy one, maybe? The, the best hope I have is that our company has that in stock <laughs> and then I can just buy it from my company. <laughs> um, so the, there was an electronic store that apparently was like the cream of the crop. Uh, and I've, I've only heard stories of it. It was called Fistel's. <clears throat> oh it, yeah. I've actually heard of that one. Yeah. It closed down in, in 2014, but it opened in 1936. It, it was uh 90. Yeah. Nine decades of being open and they, they closed down and, and, uh, all the people at work said it was it was just a mecca of electronics, and you could go there. Like all the guitar guys were going there and buying old vacuum tubes and uh, like anything and everything. It was just it was fantastic. And now there is virtually nothing. Like we do have a micro center here, and you could like y- there's you can stuff. get a diode maybe. Yeah, you can get a, a diode, right? But like I'm not going to drive one n four four zero one probably. Yeah. So if I need parts, I I online or uh if if the company has them i can usually pick them up there yeah interesting i think i think the 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 way of the surplus store is it's dying yeah um epo is definitely shifting off the surplus yeah um and i know ace has been doing that too because ace sells more 
industrial stuff. So they have industrial surplus like connectors and switches and stuff. But like they carry that kind of surplus stuff that you like break and will need like right away mm-hmm. more often. Whereas EPO has like more components, I guess. But Ace does carry a lot of crazy like resistors and stuff. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah, I imagine your margins are not very good for a brick and mortar store selling surplus electronics they're, anymore. They're zero, basically. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame, but it's also like, you know, how a lot of people will complain about, you know, all these stores are closing and stuff. Um, but it's one of those like, well, then go shop there. Yeah, they they only close if you stop shopping there or never yeah. shop there. Um, whenever I got my driver's license, the first place I drove to by myself was EPO to go buy parts. Yep, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, EPO was one of the. I think it was the third place I went to. <laughs> so, yeah, it's still open over there on Fondren. The uh, quick is, question in in uh, Twitch, Awesome Blossom, is EPO a chain? Unfortunately, no, it is not. It is a mom and pop store out in in uh, Houston, and uh, the people who run it are good friends of mine, and they're they're awesome people. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I wish it was a chain. I wish there was more EPOs all over the place. Yeah, I do find it interesting. Uh, um, EPO, whenever I whenever I go there, I try to buy like soldering supplies. Because they actually, their prices on their soldering supplies are identical for what you can get online. Mm-hmm. So I always try to buy them there. They are, they rarely have stuff in stock for that though. I'm going to imagine their the margins are not good on that kind of supplies. Because like, it's really hard to keep a bin of $40 rolls of leaded solder on stock. Yeah. So they might have like one. <laughs> and then someone buys it and there you go now. Yeah. Um, you gotta get Ace, lucky Ace the tends one. to have like their bins might be a little more full on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I always find that interesting. Whenever I go to EPO, I'm like, like I wanted flux cleaner and they didn't have any flux cleaner. They had a uh, ice purple, like any flavor of isopropyl alcohol I wanted, like spray kind jugs, 99%, 70%, 80% strawberry. Yep. Cheeseburger. <laughs> cheeseburger isopropyl and uh it was uh they, i couldn't get i wanted some of that mg chemical flux cleaner that we were talking about which is where i bought this yeah no, because that's what you said <laughs> you're like yeah epo has it and i went there and they they didn't have any mm. um they had a little tag where it's supposed to go yeah so so i did come up with names of the ghosts oh okay this yeah. is our closing statements for this podcast Great. Okay, so because each the three ghosts is this is going way an hour and twenty two minutes ago, people about uh, a Christmas Carol where there's 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 three ghosts. There's the ghost of Christmas past, which represents memory, a ghost of Christmas present, which represents generosity and goodwill, and then a ghost of Christmas future, which represents death. And thinking about (laughs) those, what those ghosts mean. I'm reading his other notes. And 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 Stephen and I's six years of doing this podcast. Yeah. It's going to be coming up on seven years soon. Um, so we have ghosts of projects past due, 
And I have to thank chat for that one. That was a really good one. And then Ghosts of Project Ideas, which represents Ghosts of Christmas Present. And then Ghosts of Unused Parts mm. of Ghosts of Christmas Future. Because I, I'm, I'm trying to think of which one I have more of. And I just think overall, I just have a lot of all of those. Yeah, you just have all of those. <laughs> just all of those. There's, there's a lot of ghosts in my basement. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully no skeletons, though. <laughs> well, with that, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. <laughs>